0: Our God is a God of unlimited light, and he calls us to share that light with others. As we give it away generously, in a paradoxical way, we get brighter. We are blessed by being a blessing, giving time and talents, attention and connection, compassion and kindness and grace in love. It takes a shift in focus off of ourselves and onto others. It can't be faked or fabricated. It has to be desired. It fills us up and we can't help but spill Jesus onto those around us. So what would happen if we intentionally pursued a life of living generously? And what would it take to be known for our genuine and extravagant generosity? God has called us to live a life more abundant. And that truly comes when we become generous.
1: Well, good morning, Cornwall Church here in Bellingham, in Boca. To those that are streaming online, I understand we've got folks that are at cornwallchurch.com in Texas, Los Angeles, and San Francisco joining us this morning on the live stream. And greetings to those watching on the big screen in Mount Vernon. If we've not yet met, I'm Brian Mengel. I am the campus pastor at our location in Skagit. It is great to be with you today. And before we dive in, I just have to mention about last week. If you were here, you know it was a very profitable weekend to be at Cornwall Church, quite literally, as Cornwall Church, Pastor Bob stood here and gave out thousands of dollars to those that were here in Bellingham and at our Mount Vernon location with the goal, the purpose, the direction to be generous with our finances, And then he invited you to share the stories of how you would use the money in the envelope, that $10 bill, uh, to bless others and the stories your stories have poured in. Uh, He handed me, I think, four to five pages of your stories, and he asked me to share just a couple. The first says, Dear Cornwall Church, I attended this week as a guest. You gave me $10 and challenged me to pray about how the Lord would have me steward this excess money. As a young adult, I was confused in college about the teachings of the Bible, and it led me to investigate on my own. And as I read, my mind, my heart, and my life were transformed. It's a tremendous privilege to be able to read the Bible whenever I wish. And so I knew that I used my $10 with a little more to give to the YouVersion Bible app so that others can have that same access to God's Word. Another person said, as soon as I received the $10, I knew what I was going to do with it. I wanted to triple the amount and send it to the Bread of Life mission. When I got in my car, I checked my email. I had an email concerning the status of Bread of Life with the chaos in Haiti. Right then, I knew God was affirming my decision on that $10. Another person writes, my wife and I took our $10 times two and added to it a little bit. We purchase winter hats and mittens for the little children of Options High School Grads Program, a program for teen mom and dads with free child care for children birth to preschool so that those parents can stay in school and continue their high school education. Thank you for the opportunity of a seed gift to hopefully bless these young parents and their children. A couple more. I gave my $10 plus a little bit more to help a senior citizen I know with expenses related to her cancer treatments so she can buy gas or other needed items as well as treat herself to a ball of yarn and some new nail polish. One more. Our daughter works for DSHS with single parents and single parents-to-be coming and going, my husband gave his $10 to buy a birth certificate for a single father of three who just moved from Utah. He couldn't find work until he could find a birth certificate for his youngest because he needed state care. Thanks for moving me to give generosity, generously. Thank you so much for moving in a way and using your $10. <laughs> and if you have yet to do so, Do it. Pray how God would have you use your $10 to be generous. I don't know about you, but this series in particular has been incredibly convicting for me. It seems that week after week, there is a different, tangible, doable challenge, a way for us to be more generous with our grace, with our encouragement, and our finances. And this week, we look at how we can be more generous with our hospitality, But first, it's important that we baseline hospitality before we dive in to get a root understanding of what it is. You see, hospitality is not courtesy, it's not politeness, it's not empathy, it's not sympathy, it's also not customer service. You know, if you walk away from a restaurant or a theme park or you make a return at a store and you walk away saying, that was great hospitality. It actually wasn't. It was great customer service. Hospitality is a couple of things. This is not your fill in. Hospitality, one, is action. It requires to us to do something. It's also personal, kind of like last week when Pastor Bob reminded us that our finances are not ours. The money's his. He has entrusted us to steward it. Therefore, hospitality will require you and an extension of what you perceive is yours your home. We can't be hospitable in in the commons before or after service or a walk in the park or at our favorite coffee shop. Hospitality will involve you and the sharing of the place God has provided you. It's also biblical. Hospitality is mentioned by name or in description throughout the Bible, and it all begins with God in Genesis 2. Genesis 2.8, it says this, Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, And there he put a man he had formed. The Lord God made trees out of the ground, and they were pleasing to the eye, and they were good for food. And then we know God saw Adam needed a helpmate, a companion, and he creates Eve. And we read that together they enjoy this wonderful, abundant garden that God had created. And then we know how the story goes from there. But here is what is incredible. Genesis 3:21 says, "The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them." Even in the midst of this highly disappointing situation, this is how we know our God is a personal, hospitable God. Hospitality began here. When he invited them into his dwelling place, his garden, he would provide for their needs, he would engage in conversation. Hospitality began with God as our example. Therefore, let that be our starting point. Knowing and engaging with the idea that hospitality is more than a suggestion. It's more than a suggestion or a good idea. It is a command. And there is a difference For example, if you go to a restaurant, your waiter might make a suggestion off the menu. Or a friend might make a suggestion of a movie to see. But a suggestion is an idea that you get to say yes or no. However, a command is not optional. When someone gives an order, like in the military, it must be carried out. A command is an order you have to follow, especially when the person giving the command has authority over you, and that is God and us. In Mark 12, it is clear. It says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We know that. It's number one. Check. Got it. But then the second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The NLT will say it just barely different. The second is equally important. The King James Version will say, and the second, like it, is this. So for the Christ follower, the command is simple. Love God, love others. Love God, that's vertical. Love others, that's horizontal. In other words, God's saying, if you really love me, you're gonna love those around you. And make no mistake, this is not a suggestion For every follower of Christ, this is our command. Paul would provide some clarity to this when he would write to the Romans. He would say this, be devoted to one another in love. Be committed to love. Honor one another above yourselves. Think of other people more important than yourself. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And the training ground for all of that is this, practice hospitality. God is serious about hospitality, likely because it involves people, and God loves people. The Greek translation for the word hospitality is simply this, a love for strangers. A love for strangers. Oh, did you hear that? That was a collective gasp of all the introverts in the room. Because I get it, a tolerance for the stranger, okay. A like for the stranger, maybe, but a love for the stranger, oh, are you serious? Spoiler alert, God is serious. In Exodus, we see the recording of the journey of the Israelites as slaves in Egypt. God calls this man Moses to free his people. And later in Leviticus, the journey is over. They're now delivered and free. And Moses then reminds them of their past experience. We see this in Exodus. You know the heart of a sojourner for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. In Leviticus, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, as one of you, and you shall love him as yourself. I feel like we just looked at that verse. For you too were strangers in the land of Egypt, I, the Lord, your God. The argument is that our conduct is to spring out of our experience, for us to look back on our own history. God made it personal. Personal. You remember what it was like to be a foreigner because you too were a foreigner. And I, the Lord your God, showed you love and grace and mercy and compassion and acceptance and hospitality, even despite your stranger status. And I get it, when we hear the word stranger, especially as a parent, it likely has a negative or dangerous connotation. But let's make this clear. God is keeping it very simple. When he says stranger, it is simply someone you don't know yet. Marg Hardcastle says this, Hospitality is lived out in the day-to-day through becoming available and vulnerable to the stranger, the one you don't know yet, to people who are different from us through the unwanted interruption in the ordinary places of everyday living where pain is experienced and presence is needed. "'Hospitality is not cozy or comforting. "'It is world-rattling and risky. "'It's about encounters full of God's grace "'where kindness and respect are practices.'" She continues, "'It's hospitality that was modeled to us "'by the one who went among the crowd "'and was touched by the unlovely "'and the undeserving and the unloving, "'gave bread and fish to the hungry "'and water to the parched. "'It was the one who lost his good reputation "'because of the company he kept.'" but through his acts of radical hospitality enabled people to have sacred encounters with the God who transforms lives. So we keep this definition, this very long definition in mind, and we ask the question, how can we become more generous in our hospitality for the introverts and the extroverts in the room? Because I'm guessing you introverts out there might have a mild sweat an elevated heartbeat, and you're wondering where is the closest exit? How long is this message going to last? And the extroverts in the room, you're thinking, this is great. I'm going to put some meat on the Traeger this week. We're going to have some parties at our house. And the truth is we have to find a happy medium. We're going to meet in the middle. And we're going to do that by finding a compromise and walking through some ideas with Hospitality 101. First and foremost, we have to do this. We have to keep Our attitude in check. Keep your attitude in check. It might sound simple, but we have to start here because hospitality will cost you. It's going to cost you in time and in resources and in food and in energy and yes, an invasion of your personal fortress, your home. Attitude is essential because we have to have joy to be a hospitable host. Now, am I saying you have to be over the moon, it's Christmas morning, enthusiastically excited? Not at all. What I am suggesting is you need to reflect on what is stealing away your joy from being generous in practicing hospitality. Perhaps it's that the idea of hosting people, strangers or otherwise, creates in you a physical anxiety, Well, David had something to say about that. Psalm 94, 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Maybe it's a time issue or a lack thereof. More on that in a moment. Maybe it's outside your comfort zone. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you know this one doesn't fly. We're always pushed outside our comfort zone. Or maybe, maybe you just don't want to. It's been a long week. It's been a long day. What you want to do is come to your house, sit on your couch, and do nothing. And then you're reminded, oh, wait, company is coming over tonight. These are real feelings. And then yet we look to the authority of Scripture, and we see in 1 Peter 4, 9, it says, Offer hospitality to one another, uh uh-oh, without grumbling. Some versions will say, without complaint, we're talking about two very different attitudes, one of joy and excitement and the other of grumbling and complaint. You know, I was racking my brain trying to think of an example, and then I thought of one, of a story of two gentlemen, two French gentlemen from somewhere in the 1800s. They worked in a castle uh, belonging to a very wealthy prince, and one night they were visited by a, a girl from the local village, And they open the doors and they bring her in. And not just that, but they give her the royal treatment. I found a picture of these guys. (laughs) To be fair, I didn't do a Disney reference in the last sermon. So there we go. Beauty and the Beast, Lumiere. And Cogsworth, the one on the right, Cogsworth, he's the head of the staff and hardly interested or excited or joyful about showing any kind of hospitality to this stranger. And then there's the one on the left, that's Lumiere, He's the valet of the castle. He's always willing to roll out the red carpet to anyone that comes inside. In fact, at one point in the movie, Belle is escorted to the Beast's large dining room table. And she is seated at this giant chair. And Lumiere hops on top of the table. And he famously says, <clears throat> Be our Guest, be our guest, put our service to the test. Tie a napkin round your neck, sherry, and we provide the rest. Soup du jour, hot hors d'oeuvre, why we only live to serve. Try the gray stuff, it's delicious, don't believe me, as the dishes, they can sing, they can dance, after all, Mrs. friends, the dinner here is never second best. And go unfold your menu, take a glance, and then you'll be our guest. Be our guest, and he says it one more time, be our guest. Thank you. (laughs) Talk about a guy who with joy and excitement rolls out the red carpet. Fictitious or not, I wonder how Bell felt in that moment. As he smiles and with excitement says, be our guest. I wonder if Pastor Bob took this to heart next week as he took the stage. I wonder what it would look like or what it would sound like. I I wonder if it would be like... um, Be my guest, be my guest, put my preaching to the test. Just sit back, open your link or the app, I'll do the rest. Scripture's here on RTV, big and bold so you can see. Final fill in, excitement's mounting, it's 40 minutes, but who's counting? I wonder if it'd be something like that. If it's my last Sunday here, at least I went out with a bang. I mean... I believe, in all seriousness, to accomplish hospitality as God intended it, we got to be more like Lumiere and a lot less like Cogsworth. We've got to be willing to offer hospitality without grumbling and without complaint. So check your attitude. Number two, pray for your guest list. Pray for your guest list. Be in consistent prayer about who it is God might have you invite. The truth is we all have a circle of influence, and for the most part, those are pre-existing relationships. So an invite to your house would not be uncomfortable. So then the challenge is to be praying for who would fill your guest list outside of those people, whether it's one person or a couple or a family or multiple people. It doesn't really matter the number. It's all about the who. In chapter 14, Luke records Jesus saying this, Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Let me be really clear here. I am not suggesting, and I don't think Jesus is dictating, that every dinner party at your house from here on out has to be involving exclusively the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In fact, the New Testament is very clear, and it's full of encouragement for believers to come together, to be with one another, to build each other up, to encourage for the benefit of all. So keep gathering as you are, but consider adding additional gatherings too. As mentioned earlier, hospitality is a love for strangers. A sub-translation is simply guest friendship, creating a space where your guests could potentially become your friends. I met a pastor once who used the Note app on his phone And as God leads him to names, he simply adds those names to the notes on his phone. And that's where he finds the guest list for who he invites to his house. We have some friends in Oregon that have a standing tradition. Sundays after church, they invite someone to their house for lunch. And what's fun is they never know who it is until they get to church that Sunday and say, who is it going to be? God leads them to person or persons, and they get invited over. So go ahead and consider and pray for your guest list. Check your attitude as well. And then we determine when works for your schedule. When works for your schedule. When, not what. What is too ambiguous. It is too vague. So instead of what, we consider the when. Because when is definitive. When is focused. And when can, makes us consider time. You don't need me telling you life is busy. A recent study found that we in our present society, we are the busiest we've ever been in our history. We sleep, we eat, we work, we go to school, we drive our kids around, we're involved in extracurriculars, we go to church, we do small group, and then we do it all over again. And the moment that someone has the audacity to ask us to add something to our schedule, we are rapidly responding, nope, sorry, we're too busy. I think sometimes we need Psalm 46.10 just on a slow, quiet repeat in our mind. Be still, slow down, and know that I am God. Know that I have got this. You know those kids you've got that you're taking care of? I I created them. You know that food on your table, t- I, I provided that. You know that breath you just took? I gave you that. In our marriage, Shauna is our optimist. She's the one that dreams about the what ifs and is always searching for the silver linings. I am the realist. I wanna know about the, when the rubber hits the road. In our family, I'm known as the buzzkill. <laughs> Be that as it may, When our family wants to add something to our schedule, we have to evaluate how it fits into our schedule. And so along with being a realist, I'm also visual. So I made a chart. (laughs) All the Enneagram ones are loving this right now, but this is our real mingle fall family schedule, showing the comings and goings of all four mingles, Brian, Shauna, Alyssa, and Dylan. And so when I asked my wife, Shauna, in preparation for this message, how are we going to be more generous in our hospitality? The response was, well, we are just so busy, Brian. And it's true, we are busy. So to be completely transparent with you and in Skagit and online, hold me accountable, we are going to have to look at when to put this into practice of what I'm preaching, we will need to look at when works for our schedule. Now, it looks like Saturday is wide open, but that's my Sabbath. That's my one day off. I don't do email. I don't text, take calls. It's my focused, family-focused Saturday. So it looks like for us maybe Sundays or Fridays are going to be when we invite or we get invited to. So be realistic with your family's schedule. What works for you? And consider your family's capacity. But realize that everyone does have a when that works, even as busy as you are. And when you have the when, then determine the what. Is it a dinner party? Is it snacks watching the Hawks game? Is it coffee and dessert one night? Is it a post-church lunch? Whatever it is, you decide the when and the what. So you've got the guest list, and now it's hosting time. And then we get to something that's very, very crucial. Abandon perfection. Abandon perfection. For the Marthas in the room, this is uncharted territory. In chapter 10, Luke records an interaction with Jesus, his disciples, Mary, and Martha. Martha invites Jesus in. The Bible says she opened her home to him. And you likely know the story. Mary, she gets the gold star. She's sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha is fritzing around the kitchen, being distracted by all the necessary preparations. And finally, she has enough. And in verse 40, she comes barging through the, the doors. And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. And in a way that only Jesus can, he gently reminds Martha to focus on what's most important, time with him. Who knows? Maybe she was making his favorite meal or getting him a drink of water. But what was most important still was proximate time. When you come to our house, Shauna is our Mary. She'll meet you at the door. She'll bring you into our living room. She'll sit down with you, give you eye contact, engage, laugh, cry, smile. And where will I be? I'll be martha Ean in the kitchen. Will there be anything to do in the kitchen? Not at all. But that's where I'll be, fritzing around, asking if you need a drink. And then, of course, there's a point in our hosting of people that I get so frenzied. And, Shauna, get in the kitchen! And she comes in, she's like, what do you need help with? And I say, I don't know. I just needed you in here because I was by myself. (laughs) Here's the shocking truth about you living in your home. You live in your home. So it's okay. We all do laundry. We all have the red spaghetti that splotted over on your pot last night. We all have stacks of mail that we need to sort. We all have shoes that didn't quite make it into the shoe rack. So why is it that we pretend that Joanna Gaines just blitzed through our house before our company comes over? If we abandon perfect, we can embrace real life. And if we abandon perfect, we can genuinely show hospitality to our guests. I read years ago that Pastor John Piper and his wife, when they have guests over to their home, they do something unique. Regardless of the meal and regardless of who is at their table, whether it's a dignitary or someone from their church, their meal is served on paper plates. When an interviewer asked, why is it you do that? He said, quite simply, my wife and I don't want to spend any amount of time working on clearing dishes or doing dishes or spending time in the kitchen. We just want to be with our guests. Recently, we had some friends stop by, somewhat unexpected, and they knock on the door, and we greet them at the door, and and I thought that's where we were gonna have the conversation, Martha. And then they come in the door, and we walk and make our way into the living room. And as we're talking, I look down to the left, to our couch, and a Martha-ism kind of came blurting out of me. I said, oh no, Dylan's underwear's on the couch. (laughs) To which they said, well, good that he's wearing underwear. Um, These people are parents, grandparents. It didn't phase them one bit that our laundry was unfolded and sprawled across the entire L-shape of our L-shaped couch. Christians, we often give in to this misnomer that we have it all together, but we can dispel that rumor because it is not true. So yeah, sure, run a vacuum, pick up the laundry but I guarantee the guests you invite over are more interested in the invitation than your house looking perfect. Okay, fast forward. You've had a great experience. You took the message to heart. You were hospitable. It was a success, and you're ready to do it again. Or you take this to heart. You give it a try. It's not a success. It's a flop. You're ready to toss in the towel. Pastor Brian, well, we tried. Well, I would suggest instead commit to consistency. Commit to consistency. Remember the first word of Romans 12:13. It is the word practice. Practice hospitality. Practice as in try and try again. From the book Radical Hospitality, it says hospitality is not something you do as so much so something you become. You try and fail and try again. You make room for one person at a time and then over time those choices stretch your heart in a way so that you can receive others. And why is it that we practice? It's because we have a great model to follow. Dustin Willis says this, anytime we practice hospitality, we follow in the steps of our lavishly hospitable Genesis 2 God. That's the God that is our model. And when we practice and practice, it becomes habit and then becomes second nature. So finally, the last thing we do, we share to inspire others. We share to inspire others. With the right motives, become a social example. Build a reputation that showcases your practicing of hospitality. Perhaps it's throwing a picture on social media, an intentional post that just might cause someone who's flippantly, mindlessly going through Instagram or Facebook to stop and say, who, who are the mengels with? And then cause them to read the description. Possibly that starts a conversation. You see, in our faith journey, it's important to know there are others on the battlefield. Others being fired upon. Others giving a try. Sometimes failing, but sometimes succeeding. Paul writes this beautifully. He says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. And? I also want to be encouraged by yours. Tell others about your time together as you practice hospitality. Who did you meet? What was great? What wasn't great? What did you learn for next time? One asterisk on this. Do not let hospitality or the people that you host become a project. As you well know, social media already has a bad rap for being unreliable source of filtered photos and unrealistic realities. People can discern authenticity. And if it smells fake, you will do more harm than you do good. One more. This is for parents. Parents, invite your kids in to the conversation of hospitality. Let them be in on the why and the who. Who do they think would benefit from a seat at your dining room table? Invite them and imagine them seeing the gospel lived out through you as you warmly embrace those that have been on your invite list and imagine them seeing the gospel grow in your living room. Your kids get a front row seat to your practicing of hospitality, and I guarantee you'll inspire them too. The bottom line is, as we work out our faith together, we can learn a lot from each other and we can inspire each other as well. Biblical, generous hospitality requires an open heart, an open hand, and an open door. It starts with a heart because hospitality is a heart issue. Our heart decides if we are in or out, if we are a yes or no, if we are agreeable or if we are going to be begrudging. Pastor Randy provided me this insight from an unknown author. It says this, Hospitality does not begin with the home, but with the heart. It is not merely a calculation of available space or food or resources, but the generation of generous love, interest, and acceptance. Hospitality is attitudinal, the work of the spirit within. The practicalities are important, but these are not the starting point. Hospitality is not simply something we do, but something God does within us, a work of formation. So then really it's up to our hands to move into action. Your heart might be willing, but are you ready to send off that email or jet off that text or possibly go face to face and make an invitation? And finally, maybe the toughest obstacle is to have that open door. Bottom line is our call is to practice radical, ordinary hospitality. Radical, ordinary hospitality. Radical change made possible by ordinary people. Imagine for a moment how the spiritual landscape could be altered in Whatcom and in Skagit counties if even a fraction of us took seriously this call to live generously through hospitality. What if a a percentage of us said yes I will pray about who might gather in my dining room, maybe even this week, and what stories you might get to share. Hospitality is way more about hosts and guests than it is the perfect pot roast. It's about unexpected, unplanned moments of the Spirit and God showing up, and we get to sit back and watch the gap between strangers get closer and closer. That's radical hospitality in action, and it begins right here. I suspect many, if not most of us, have one of these on our front porch, right under the door, the welcome mat. All right, do me a favor, humor me for a moment. In your link today, you've got the welcome mat. On the left-hand side of the line, will you do me a favor and write down the name or names of a couple people that came to your house this week. They crossed the threshold of the welcome mat into the door, into your home. Write down the first couple names that come to mind. Even if you're not doing it, look down and do this so I think you're doing it, okay? All right, great. All right, first couple names. These, these names are likely names of family members or friends or your kids' friends or maybe neighbors or small group members, certainly the Amazon delivery guy. I mean, these are all people you know. You know, if your welcome mat had a job description, I think it'd be this. Greet and welcome anyone that comes to this house. Greet and welcome anyone who comes to this house. But we, we don't really want that, right? Like, deep down, we don't really want that to be true. Like deep, deep, deep down, we don't really want to welcome that one neighbor down the street, or that one family who is a little too loud, a little too late, or that book salesman who we've seen going door to door to door, certainly not that missionary of a different religion. But the truth is, wouldn't Jesus have rolled out the welcome mat to them? In fact, we see that he did. He dined with, he interacted, he engaged with people that were the least like him. And Jesus is our model. So consider it's fun, it's easy to invite people into our home that we know, but maybe it's someone from this body, someone from church that you don't know yet. They're a stranger. Or it's someone from work, or some adults from your kids' sports team. Or maybe it's a neighbor. Possibly it's inviting someone on your nope, never list. As we were driving home last night, my family was here at the 5 o'clock, and we were driving home after having dinner. And at dinner, uh, my son Dylan, who's 8, said, Dad, who are we going to invite over? I said, you were listening? He said, yeah, yeah, who are you you thinking is going to be... Invited over, and I said, well, buddy, who do you think? And we had this idea that we'd all write down the name on a piece of paper and then show each other. And so we all did. We wrote down names, and we kept them face down, and then we flashed each other the names. And it was a lot of like, oh, oh, really? Whoa, them? It's true. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do that exercise with us. On the right side, in this blank write down the first name that comes to mind that's not on this side that God might have you invite to your house this week. Things just got real. (laughs) I'm serious though. Who is it that comes to mind straight away that maybe is even on your nope, never list that you are feeling like to be generous with my hospitality, it means an invite to this person And if you can't think of it right now, pray about who is going to fill the name on this side. Who is it going to be that you're willing to say to be generous with my hospitality and what God has given me? It means I'm going to invite this person over my welcome mat as a stranger into my home. This is our challenge, me included. Hold me accountable to it. Let me share one more disclaimer. Hospitality is not cookie cutter. So do not leave here feeling defeated or discouraged or frustrated. God made you perfect exactly as you are. And in this moment, he knows how you're feeling and he knows how you operate. And so for some, practicing hospitality, this is natural, this is easy, this is exciting. And for others, this will be a struggle. Hospitality will look different for all of us and that is okay. Every Christian, though, is called to practice hospitality, and that means everyone will practice, but differently. Practicing something is better than practicing nothing at all. Here's what's exciting, Cornwall. If if the previous weeks of this series are any indication at all, it seems like now more than ever, Cornwall Church is ready to look less like the world and a whole lot more like Jesus And so I believe we will take this challenge on. People will wonder why, and you'll get to answer. I believe that through the generosity of the grace that we offer, the finances that we share $10 at a time, the encouragement that we give, and the hospitality that you will extend, I think we should be mindful then of Romans 12 take this to heart as we go today, to be devoted to one another in love, to honor others above ourselves, to share with the Lord's people who are in need, and ultimately to practice hospitality.